thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen Civs, Captains, and Commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 144, the best damn space sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, November 4th, and made available for download Tuesday, November 8th, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ken Shadow. And as always, in the audio booth, making sure we all sound coherent, and not at all like Tony after a day on the campaign trail, is... Henry! So, what do we have in store this week, Ken Shadow? In this week's Squawk Box, we discuss everyone's favorite fighter. No, not the Scorpion, the other one. Next, we check out what news from your favorite space sims has hit the flight deck as we cover what Ben Lesnick's been up to in the latest Around the Verse in Star Citizen. A second alien crash site has been found in Elite Dangerous, this one surrounded by living and dead unidentified artifacts and backer-level upgrades and mod support for Infinity Battlescape. After that, we debate pop culture references and games before finally turning to the feedback loop and letting you join in the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Jeff saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. Regular listeners are aware that Guard Frequency has been following the development of the F-35 Strike Fighter for some time now. In short, our position has been that the fighter is an overcomplicated, horribly expensive product that doesn't fulfill its operational goals. Recent news has not done much to dissuade that opinion. The Pentagon has now been told that an additional $500 million will be required to finish the development on the fighter, bringing the projected cost of the project up to $1.5 trillion. That's trillion. The Pentagon is looking for ways to cut at least $4 billion off that price. The plane, whose development was also four years behind schedule, was declared flight-ready earlier this year, but as of September, all the planes have been grounded after two of them spontaneously burst into flames due to poorly built insulation crumbling into the fuel tanks. I hate when that happens. Apart from that, Pentagon Director of Operational Testing Michael Gilmore recently sent a memo detailing the main gun's design deficiencies, too few aircraft being available for testing, and over 1,000 significant problems with the plane's sophisticated software. At this point, its estimated test flights to complete the development phase of the program won't be undertaken until November of 2018. And on a side note, I was reading an article earlier about China's strike fighter. They've got a China released a new uh, strike fighter. Yeah, they debuted that at their air show a couple of weeks ago. Right. And that's been in development since 2005. It looks really cool, too. Yeah, it looks <laughs> awesome. But I, I, I don't think it cost $1.5 trillion to develop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it could have. We'll just never know. Right. But, yeah, so people people think Star Citizen has funding problems. No kidding, right? <laughs> Complicated software, my ass. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. But wasn't 
Okay, I'll stop that. <laughs> but wasn't uh, insulation go like blowing up in fuel tanks a problem that NASA had a long time ago? What that was was the exterior insulation, the, the coating on the exterior tanks, chunking off and and uh, the debris hitting other parts of the aircraft in, while it was doing its massive thrust velocities to escape the atmosphere. Okay. My brain caught on the insulation bit, so I guess that's what was uh, what was triggering it for me. But this is... I was reading the article and on this, and it was just it, baffling. It, this whole program... I mean, I... I appreciate the design and the complication of this of this project, but seriously, they should have just left it at one as a test bed to build something else. That they could have worked out all these kinks and come up with a next generation fighter that was already had its tried and tested systems done, and they would have found all these problems. And because honestly, if if China goes to production on these joint strike fighters then um, our air superiority is really damaged. Yeah, although have they released any operational details about those? I was looking for some new updates on that, and I haven't, I don't see anything new in the last, um, let's see, any time past week. Just something that CNN did on the first about the U.S. should be worried about uh, China's new J-20. And... Um, they keep comparing it to the F-22, and the F-22 is a is a um, already in service air, airframe, so it's not as old as say like the F-16, F-18, Super Hornets, or any of the other aircraft. But uh, it's a serious contender, and with the South China Sea being such a hotbed of, I mean, other news. I mean, didn't uh, a Chinese fighter slam into a destroyer out there or something on maneuvers? I don't recall, but I don't follow the news quite that closely. So it could have happened. I just don't remember. So one thing, I, you know, that strikes me about the F-35 is that in the, you know, in the private sector, when you're developing products, typically what you want to do is take a known quantity and test a specific feature by adding it to that, that known quantity. And therefore, you're developing that whole new feature in isolation from the rest of the stuff. And then once that's done, then you develop a new product that changes another known quantity on that existing thing. In the F-35, it seems like they decided to change everything at once. And uh, that usually, at least in, in my experience in the computer industry, uh, ends up being a, um, a giant uh, roll of the dice that is very unlikely to work at the end of the day. Well, uh, part of the problem is too is that they they were taking an aircraft and they were trying to replace, you know, the uh, uh, Navy wanted a replacement for the Harrier, the Air Force wanted a, and the Army wanted a replacement for the A ten, and all these different, you know, they were trying to combine all these different things into this one fighter, and I think they're going about it the wrong way. I think they can do that and still get an air superiority aircraft up there and, and fulfill the role of like what the A-10 did and, and what the Harrier did. But man, they just, you know, you can't say this is it and then try to go to production and, and not work out all the bugs. Red seen or heard something you might think is interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for November 4th, 2016. 
$130 million, up about 356,000. 1.114 million ships in the UE fleet, up about 3,400. Changes to video formats and guests aren't unusual for CIG, particularly in the past year. Around the Verse has undergone an overhaul in format, along with its sister production Reverse the Verse. Loremaker's Guide to the Galaxy has been pulled out of ATV and given its own production slot, and the 10 for the Whomever series seems to have been shipped out to pasture. However, one glaring change that fans have noticed is the absence of Ben Lesnick as host on ATV. For those of you that weren't aware, Mr. Lesnick originally had to step back because of a bit of a medical scare around two months ago. The details aren't clear, but he was in the hospital for at least a week and spent some time recovering following that. There was a brief nod when he officially returned to work, but the expected return to hosting duties didn't occur. Redditor Daryel1 posted the question to Ben's whereabouts and well-being and got a few responses from Ben himself. Mr. Lesnick explained that he's stepped back from hosting duties in order to reduce stress and is focusing more on his role in the ship pipeline. He cautioned backers that he's not in charge of the pipeline per se. He only provides initial ideas for ship names, types, roles, and basic functions, and then he steps back and lets the designers and artists actually design and make the ship. He steps back in when it's time to unveil and release the ships. He added that he greatly appreciates all of the support he got from his backers during his hospital stay. Moving on to Around the Verse, with the reveal that Star Marine is not vaporware and will be making a debut sometime soon, CIG gave us some further details about their design decisions by way of Around the Verse. First up, Star Marine is being designed to be a tactical FPS, so more Tom Clancy than Call of Duty. The level design reflects that. Echo 11 is a maze-like structure with narrow corridors and distinct rooms. There is also some unique lighting. FPS games usually use lighting and textures to make the players stand out. The Star Marine lighting is going to be more realistic. The devs try to figure out how the area would actually be lit by the inhabitants and design the lighting based on that. That means people who want to survive are going to have to be very cautious and cover each other. The actual testing on Star Marine involves dedicated FPS specialists, or two developers who work on nothing else. Must be a fun job. They're running ad hoc testing and also doing occasional cross-studio playtests. Meanwhile, the developers are working on enhancing the UI. Currently, the matchmaking system is based more on Blizzard model than a big-name FPS. If you're grouping up, you gather the group before joining the queue rather than jumping into a lobby with your friends and numerous strangers before joining. Most other work is around a new flight model for Arena Commander. That testing is being handled by the Evocati, which SIG revealed as a team of 800 backers. There are both algorithmic and manual checks performed on the members to ensure they're actively and helpfully using the issue cancel and doing active testing. The latest round of feedback has prompted another balance pass to shields and weapons in Arena Commander, with a particular focus on missiles. Well, nothing new there. Time to move on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was good to hear from Ben again. He looked really good at Citizen Con. I think everyone else had seen him pretty healthy. He was up and about and in very good uh, spirits. So it's good to hear some news from him and that he's in a less stressful position and that he's actually still active at the company. Yeah, I had actually been wondering myself the fact that he hadn't returned to hosting. So this was nice to hear. And it makes sense 
They never said what specifically he was in the hospital for, did they? Got some sort of um, virus or something like that. They didn't say exactly what the infection was, but he had some sort of like blood infection or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, but lowering stress is always a good thing after hospital stays. And it was really good to see Star Marine level in ATV that uh, Echo 11, I think there are numerous people posting about how the number in the Echo 11 level matches the number of the ICC probe that you see in the current Persistent Universe mission with Tessa, you know, the one where you fly up and she directs you over to a asteroid or whatever to go, when you get basically ambushed. They said the number matches there, so maybe this is Tessa's home station and that she's actually a pirate trying to sabotage you or something like that. Wouldn't surprise me. My, my personal theory is that she is a malicious AI and that the cake is a lie. Oh, goodness. <laughs> the breakdown on the Evocati that they gave was kind of interesting. There have been a lot of people wondering about it or... I am kind of wondered about, like, what's the bars they use in order to pull people into that? You know, like, how did those guys get in? I mean, not that I play, I would ever play enough to get into that group. I'm just kind of curious about Well, I, I'm sure it was... Uh, with. Prior to the Avocati, we all, it was just uh, a lot of beta tests were done by the backers, and it was probably those that had already contributed a bunch already. Sure, sure. But I, I'm wondering what the, those bars were. Again, I would never be in that group. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, mostly, it to... it's mostly just curiosity. <laughs> if I had more time on my hands, I might be in that. Uh, I, I could be in that no, group. I, but... I, love, I actually like playing the game still. I, I get an hour or two in it everywhere, every, every once in a while, but I certainly don't put as many hours or probably isolate as many bugs as those guys do. And they're apparently involved with the standard QA testing. Like they look up things reported in the issue council and then just spend hours and hours tackling that one issue. Really? You think the Evocati are targeting specific issues to work on? Yeah, they actually, I think they actually said it at one point as part of the criteria they use. Like they're focusing on people who actively search out the issues in the issue council and then spend time specifically drilling down into those. Hmm. That's probably one of the significant criteria to be picked is if they're approaching it more like, you know, actual QA testers rather than just, oh, I'm playing and I'm going to watch out for these. Right. You guys are, uh, we talked about Star Marines not going to be vaporware. It's going to be coming out. Do you guys have any guesses on when? I'm sure it's going to be, you know, months and months, but it, there was no indication as to how long we'd be waiting. Well, I expect a big announcement at the end of November, maybe first week or two of December, that some major update is going to drop. I expect they'll give us a hint as the timeline or some sort of vague promise at the November live stream on the 18th. Yeah, that'd be cool. There have been a couple of people I've, I've seen drop into some people's um, Twitch streams. And they, they seem to indicate that their guess was three or four weeks it would be going to Evocati, the full 2.6, rather than just the fly changes. But uh, who knows if those guys were just throwing those numbers around. Right, right. Thanks again to the efforts of the Canon, that's with an extra N, Alien Hunters group. Elite Dangerous is abuzz with new discoveries to talk about. The group last made news back in July when members encountered unknown probes which transmitted signals. The signals shut down players' ships briefly, but also provided an encrypted signal. Cannon decoded it, pulled some coordinates out, and found what they believed to be the wreck of a Thargoid scout ship. Thargoids, for those not in the know, are extragalactic alien race and elite dangerous lore. They're similar to aliens from Independence Day, the Tyranids in Warhammer 40k, and the Borg from Star Trek. They're coming, 
they don't do negotiation, they're tremendously more advanced, and humans are simply in the way. Fast forward to October 25th and Elite releases a trailer for 2.2 featuring alien ruins. They were probably hoping that it would be a puzzle that it would take some time to solve. At some point, developers will stop underestimating the sheer amount of obsessive drive geeks have. But it wasn't this time. A commander named X-Death saw the trailer and then took the following actions. He triangulated the position of the system using the position of Andromeda, the Pleiades Nebula, Fact, and Epsilon Columbae as they were seen in the trailer. He then located a planet by matching the craters as seen on the moon in the tower shot. He then located the ruins by picking the most interesting looking area and doing a flyby. Finally, he took some screenshots and posted the significant sites to Reddit threads. Niche internet fame appropriately followed. As for the ruins themselves, there is much speculation occurring. Some believe that the shape of them outlines a star map of some kind. Then again, the ruins have collectible and indecipherable objects players have collected. Those don't appear to do anything, but they're dissimilar from both human objects and the various other alien artifacts that have been discovered. Some think it means new engineers will appear in conjunction with the Thargoid invasion, which the group is 100% sure is on the horizon, to turn these artifacts into something that will help fight them. Others think they are relics of a hitherto unknown third alien race that may have died off long ago, but left their secrets to exploit. Time will tell. For those interested in the screenshots and or a more in-depth discussion of the canon group and their discoveries, a link to the article will be in the show notes. So I don't follow Elite News all that closely. How big of a deal was this when it broke? Pretty big deal. I flew right out to it. Uh, we talked about it a bit last week, but uh, something we didn't mention here is also a second crashed alien ship. So there's a whole lot going with alien news and, and Elite right now. So did these Thargoids feature in the original Elite game? They did, but I think they're ignoring a lot of that history or maybe retconning it. The Thargoids were kind of a mystery in previous Elites, but they were known. But it seems like in current Elite lore, they're more of a myth. Okay, so these ruins, the new ruins, are definitely significantly different from the the crash sites that had previously been discovered? Absolutely. A totally different uh, structure, different looking technology, everything looks different. So how many aliens does this make now? At least human, the Thargoids, uh, if that's who the crashed ship belonged to, or the two crashed ships, and the unknown probes, the organic looking stuff. Uh, in the barnacles, and then another race which would have built these ancient ruins, apparently. Although the third race is apparently a subject of some debate, because some people just think they're relics from engineers that haven't shown up yet, and then when they do, they'll make more sense. I don't know. They really look like alien. I mean, they look alien to me, but how can you say that? It could be some engineer's uh, thing, but I what I've heard is that people are expecting the engineer's to be something where we'll take the data and take the relics that we find to make weapons to fight the Thargoid invasion. So there would be new engineers introduced as part of this, but they would be using the data rather than a part of the ruins. I think it was really keen that the guys put so much effort into 
uncovering these ruins and chasing down these clues. You know, props to them. Yeah, the article is actually more of a retrospective on that group than it is focusing on this particular discovery. I mean, the discovery was obviously a catalyst for it, but they go through like the original founder, how the group came together, what their basic methodology is, and they apparently did brief interviews with a few of the people so they get their thoughts on it. The devs at Inobi Studios have had another busy week, this time balancing work and home. Quite literally, as the vast majority of the devs had their apartment leases run out last week. Pure coincidence. But it does mean that everyone has been scrambling to get the literal roof over their heads sorted out, as well as focusing on building the game. Let's hope their houses come with all mod cons. Speaking of mods, and apologies for the terrible segue, Flavian has stopped working on the netcode temporarily to build the foundation of the mod support. The team have also made a basic racing mod, which they'll maintain throughout the development of Infinity Battlescape to ensure the modding interface gets preserved. Good news for the fans of the Steam Workshop. The devs have also let us know that the alpha launch is shaping up to be a little on the rough side. Whilst it's still too early to really know for certain, they're keen to get the alpha into the hands of backers sooner rather than spending the time polishing the build and delaying it further. If you're a beta level backer and are now regretting not getting that sweet sweet alpha package, I know they have you covered, and they'll be allowing you to upgrade your pledge so that you can be not only a part of the alpha but part of the free developer level weekend coming soon. Quite a different design philosophy from what Chris Roberts espouses over at Star Citizen. Yeah, but it works for them. The mod support sounds uh, promising, and the fact that they're going to try and lock down the interface so early. Yeah, mod support, it isn't quite the must-have thing for the space sims that it is for a lot of other genres. Well, I mean, the Star Citizen promised mod support too. I don't think Elite has it, but um, I think uh, everybody else is kind of thinking that they'll get it in there eventually. Yeah, but wasn't Star Citizen want to do a whole, like, internal approval of it? Or was that just for the new ships and stuff? That's for items that people are adding to the MMO side of the game. There's never been a restriction on doing stuff offline or on private servers that they've communicated. Now, when we'll get offline modes or private servers is a completely different topic. But um, at least the way they've communicated is that will be whatever you want to a degree. Yeah, I just know that like you said, Elite Dangerous doesn't have much in that way. No Man's Sky didn't really make it a consideration. That's true. That's true. But I didn't really consider No Man's Sky a uh, PC game first. <laughs> it was more of a <laughs> yeah, it's more it's more of a uh, a procedural test. But then, yeah, I always felt like that was a console game first, and that's the reason that that mod support was probably not even thought of there. That's a point. But now it's time for news we didn't use. In response to the Super Hornet Free Fly, CIG is getting the Super Hornet on sale for a limited time and at a slight discount. They're offering a $20 discount on both the standalone ship and the in-game package. Another alien crash site has been discovered in Elite Dangerous by Commander Deneb in the HIP-17862 system as players continue to tease out the story of the Guardians. Star Citizen's October monthly report dropped just recently before the show aired. As usual, it was too late for us to review in detail, but if anything pertinent is included, we'll cover it next week.
So there was a Reddit thread on this Super Hornet sale, and I, uh, I, <laughs> I personally tried to step in and say, oh, guys, it's not that big of a deal, because some people were, were voicing concerns. And I go, oh, you know, early backers got some, some other things. But I, uh, I got downvoted to oblivion, and I believe the common mood among the Redditors was that the existing backers were fairly mad about this. In that, I guess new backers are basically getting a cheaper prices than earlier backers ever got for the Super Hornet. A big deal. I was an early backer and I got the Hornet. I bought a Hornet. Big deal. So they got it a little cheaper. Yeah, I mean, you've also had it longer. You know, you've had it. You've had access yeah, to it. I've had you can it play longer. It's it. a great ship. I love it. It's one of my primary ships that I use. So prices come, come on, down. Give me, give us a break. <laughs> Prices come down. Yeah, it's hard for me to to defend their standpoint. It's a 2013 model year. You know, come on. (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I see a little bit where they're coming from in that if you bought the Super Hornet last time it was available, you know, you you paid $180 or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And now it's like $160. And you're, you're, you're thinking, well, if I had just saved that money, I don't know, six months or whatever it was since we had our last Super Hornet sale, then you'd get $20 off. And so, you know, for, for people that, you know, this is their only pledge or, you know, they are they are counting their bucks, then this can be, you know, a pretty significant percentage for them. You know, for us old school backers who have many ships, this is nothing, right? But if you want to get me hot on the color about CIG ship, then quit making the Phoenix a special vehicle because, damn it, I want one. <laughs> And I want to upgrade mine. And every time you guys do a ship sale or something like that, you put the Phoenix in this little niche that no other ship exists in. Well, my my counter argument to this is that a lot of early backers have ships that have appreciated in value. Even some small ships, everything from the M50 to the Gladiator have gotten up $15, $20 over time. And many of the big ships, like the the Star Fair was originally $175 and now it's $300. And so if you were to CCU those ships, you get a lot more bang for your buck if you were an earlier backer. That said, the ships that are not going up are the ones in question here. So for instance, the Freelancer, the Constellation, the Hornet, the Hornet, even right. or, and the variants of such have stayed the same price since they came out. I'm not sure the particular reason behind that, but I, I'm guessing it's because people a lot, a lot of these end up being stepping stones for people that are CCUing, and so changing their prices changes a lot of uh, people's purchasing plans. But that that's just my uh, paranoia. I can see the people who might have bought the Super Hornet the very last time it was on sale, like six months ago. I can see them possibly having a legitimate gripe, but any older than that, and I mean, you're talking about basically you've been, I mean, the ship itself changed in value, but you've also been allowed to use it in Arena Commander and eventually the Persistent Universe for that entire time. It's not an unfair business practice. It's not. I mean, I I agree. I don't think it's a big deal, honestly. One thing, though, is if the backlash continues on this particular sale and uh, this, these negative threads don't go away. I expect uh, any plans Sig might have had around the anniversary of doing similar things might be forestalled. So one thing I realized this bullet point doesn't actually mention is that you only get the $20 discount if you spend cash. You can't use store credit to get this discount. So I, th- I think this is also where a lot of the ire is coming from and people 
thinking, you know, this is a money grab or, or whatever, however you want to do it, in that people were really mad. Like, you spent that Hornet six months ago. You can't melt that Hornet and then get that discount now. You only can do it is if you put your money in now in raw cash. It, it's the same argument. I'm just making sure that our listeners know that that's, that's yeah. what's going on. Um, okay. One other quick thing to add to this, just again for news we didn't use, is that there's also a sale on the Starfarers currently. Normally limited ships, but they're also on sale and they're 10% off if you are a subscriber. So if you felt like subscribing for a month, you, you save more money than the differential on the Starfarer, so why not? But just FYI, the Starfarers are on sale for subscribers. Hmm. 10%, huh? Yep. Hmm. In almost every sci-fi game, you have the references. When the worm popped out of the sand at CIG's recent Homestead demo, a large portion of viewers immediately pulled up what they could remember of Frank Herbert's novels, or possibly the 1984 movie involving Kyle McLaughlin. There was also much to be made about the numeral chosen to designate the legendary Squadron 42. No Man's Sky was certainly restrained in this regard, but one player found a monolith with a passage on it that contains key phrases referencing Star Wars, Star Trek 2001, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Then, finally, you have Elite, where you can encounter George Lucas's station selling Azure milk, Ridley Scott's station with its leathery eggs, a veritable who's who of borrowed and bastardized names for the NPCs, and even the debatable Blue Danube docking music. Many players encounter these Easter eggs and simply move on, possibly stoking their geek ego with the fact that they could identify the source, or appreciating that the developers have similar taste in entertainment and recognize the roots of the genre. Others make it a personal mission to find or event references that other players haven't discovered. But then there's the other side. Some players are actively annoyed when the references show up, saying that it ruins any chance of immersion because the Easter eggs are so often forced and unsubtle. A minority goes so far as to accuse the developers of stealing and claim the game's substandard writers were unable to come up with their own material of world building and had to fall back on material from better minds. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate in-game Easter eggs. Ostron constantly has Google at the ready so he can find and call out what portions of his everyday life are actually experienced by his forefathers. Whereas Ken Shadow refuses to see a movie unless its top-billed cast are all first-time actors. So, Ken Shadow, why should games not have Easter eggs? Thanks, Jeff. Well, I'll tell you why. So I believe that new IPs should build on a legacy and history that really, at the end of the day, reference themselves. I mean, having to reference outside your IP is just a crutch. It is an excuse for lazy writing, and it breaks the fourth wall in the worst possible way. Not only does it break the immersion, it brings players out of the environment and makes them cringe. Not everybody likes the same references and the same things. So I'll concede Kin Shadow's point that the lazy writing can result in jarring references. However, if they are done well, sometimes you can have in-game references that you don't even notice until after the fact. They don't break the immersion, and they still give you the nice feeling of recognizing something from a historical reference that you love. I'd still argue that that is somewhat lazy writing. 
Um, one of the main reasons for doing that is to artificially insert a sense of nostalgia and lend more credence to your uh, to your story than it would have had otherwise. By doing by inserting someone else's IP into your own, you're really in a way stealing their mindshare in order to boost yours. Really, I think the, the better idea would be to build your own history, build your own lore, and have people feel that. Well, the reality is with any entertainment media, I mean, there's the the story that there are only 30 stories in the world, so everybody's borrowing from somebody. I think it's just comes down to an issue of what people's personal tolerances are. And I honestly think there are more people who like the references and can accept them as like, good borrowing as than there are people who consider the stealing of the event. It's this moderator's opinion that I think you're missing some really key factors. When I was a young lad, and I, being immortal, young as being relative, watching 2001 Space Odyssey for the very first time made me want to live in space. Star Trek opened up my eyes and made me think of alien cultures and dreams beyond this earth. And I think that having these homages to these kinds of things in our beloved space genres are very key to reminding us why we are here. And I don't think it's stealing. I think it's simply an acknowledgement to what brought us to this point. I thank you both. Well, now you know our thoughts on it, and we want to hear yours. So this week's community question. Our developer created Easter eggs referencing other IPs, tributes to childhood dreams, historical legacies, and extra bonuses for fans? Or are they just immersion-breaking laziness to make up for mediocre world-building? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news... Let's tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he once ate nothing but burritos for 13 days, and that his thumbs are on backwards. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question. Is a system where players purchase in-game updates and enhancements a good way to increase immersion and realism? Or will it mean that the game is only optimal for the hardcore gamers and others who aren't able to acquire the items get left behind? Perhaps there's an angle on this that we missed. LNO Rebel wrote in and said, Bad idea. People will just keep hold of legacy OP as unbalanced kit or new versions will get stuck in escalation spiral. P.S. Thanks for murdering my feedback from last week. I'll email longer posts next time. Code Dragon 5 writes in and says, Been listening for quite a while now, and I've been wanting to respond to last several weeks' community questions. But my recent expanded family put me a week behind in all my podcasts. Finally caught up in time to respond to this one. When I first heard the idea of purchasing updates in-game during the lead-up to the debate, I didn't like it. However, after listening to your post-debate discussion, I found that I really liked the concept for non-game-breaking equipment updates, like tweaking the laser weapons or changing the hard points on a ship. This especially works with the fact that old equipment will eventually phase out, as you put it, when they're invariably destroyed in a combat-oriented game and replaced with the latest models. 
I would even suggest that there be a trade-up program that players could take advantage of so they could easily get the latest equipment without committing the inevitable insurance fraud of sending their old ships into the red zone. Love listening to you every week, and it's been a long time since I laughed as hard as when you put Ronald Jinky shows in your music. (laughs) (laughs) We got all this permission, though. Yeah. Elwick writes in and says, It's a neat idea, but I think people would have birds if it was done. On the other hand, for a star sit, once ship sales are winding down, it may make a nice transition to move to components. Don't worry about the col- this colon trouble. Everyone's got one, whether they admit it or not. We didn't get a lot on this question, but to be fair, I think it was kind of an abstract topic. Yeah, it's kind of hard to be for or against until you actually see what systems come into play. Yeah, because as, as we discussed, there are some... Like some of the upgrades, if they were or updates, if they were put for sale in game, would be literally game breaking. Whereas others, it might work better. I know some people respond to our feedback before they even get a chance to listen to the podcast, and I think that one was particularly a hard one to understand without listening to the examples that we enumerated in the show. Yeah, I even when I was rereading the community question afterward, I was like, okay, people are just gonna think we're asking about how star citizen sells a variety of different weapons so this is gonna this is gonna confuse some people mm-hmm. in general feedback silent hunter writes in and says i've had a go at the latest version of the game and wanted to share some of my thoughts uh, silent hunter is talking about elite dangerous here just FYI. there are definite visual improvements in the starport services menu but it does run very slowly at times the new hyperspace effects remind me of a doctor who title sequence except no peter capaldi Mind you, I did get once attacked by a pirate named David Attenborough. Haven't managed to take any passengers yet. It seems that, at least where I am, you have to have better relations with the local factions before anyone is willing slash desperate enough to ride with you. While nothing to do with 2.2 per se, I have now gotten a Viper Mark III and a SRV. Driving around on a planet with the latter is a lot of fun, especially in low gravity. I look forward to being able to do this on atmospheric planets as well. On another note, when do you think we'll see Star Citizen Alpha 2.6 come out? Kind regards, Silent Hunter. I think we answered that question in the early discussion. Hopefully that was enough for Silent Hunter's needs. Doctor, spelled wrong, wrote in and said, Please tell me this pronouncing the punctuation, namely the colon thing, is going away soon. It's getting annoying and makes you all sound silly. If the plan is to continue, please let me know, and I'll sadly have to stop listening until it stops. Otherwise, I enjoy the show. Yeah, we are we are currently undergoing colonoscopies to determine if that's a good way to move forward. <laughs> Aki Wolf writes in and says, What's up with the colons? That silliness needs to stop like yesterday. Every time I hear one, it puts me to one step closer to not listening. I know I am asking for it here, but is there a Patreon level that will make you stop? Shiv writes commentary, yes, back at the Metamucil level, and no, wait, that will do the opposite of stopping the colons. Never mind. Zemerkin writes in and says, holy cow, that title is a disaster. Ken from Chicago writes in, in the 70s, as a kid, I changed D-cell and C-cell batteries, boom boxes, and portable gadgets. In the 80s, as a teen, I changed double A and triple A batteries and Walkmans and pen lights. And in the 90s as a young adult I changed pill sized batteries and calculators and watches. In the 2000s as an adult I learned to change car batteries that where if I messed up I could seriously be injured and even killed. 
So now in the 2010s, if Apple thinks I'm so dumb that I need some stupid Apple genius to change a battery in one of their precious iPhones, or my brain would blow up if I dared access their file system, or having a touch keyboard that changes from lowercase to uppercase letters would be way too confusing, not to mention charging me an arm and a leg for less tech. Really, you had to remove the head jack from the iPhone, but not the MacBook? Then I stand with Jeff. Huzzah. But they can keep their silly little iPhones, iPads, iPods, and the above with their eye holes. PCs and Androids work fine for me. Me too. Ken from Chicago. P.S. Don't think you'll get a free pass. Microsoft on decades of overcharging for software or anchoring your office products with that stupid, awful bane of my work software ribbon. I know instead of a nice clear menu and submenu system where everything can be seen, let's bury it in some arbitrary new series of submenus out of sight. Even the handful of commands and windows paint. Arg! I, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain, Ken. Sean Newboy went back to his usual form and said, love the show, everyone. Icefire122 writes in and says, great show as always. I really like the difference between the live recording and the show you make out of it. It usually leads me to listening to the show twice. Wasn't there originally a patch lottery for Patreons in the past? Whatever happened to it? Any other way to earn a patch? Shiv responded to this feedback and says, basically when we get one Patreon every so often, they automatically get one. But he kind of patches them up and uh, patches will be sent out soon. The labels have been printed. Speaking of Patreons, our new Patreons this week is Scotty Sparks. Woohoo! Winner of the new patch. See above. And this week's community question. Are developer-created Easter eggs referencing other IPs tributes to historical legacies and extra bonuses for fans? Or are they just immersion-breaking laziness to make up for mediocre world building? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Fresh, frisky, and original? Or so full of references that Gandalf didn't even have time to tell Harry Potter to use the Force? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter, at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us will be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 144 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 145 on November 15th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. Do you like what we do? Want to help us out with the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email at squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into the weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. 
Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Said has that is a, instead of was. I know. <clears throat> the plane. The plane. The plane. <laughs> <laughs> but all we know is it's called the Shiv. And he helped put together. <clears throat> you do that one more time. Some say he. Um, some say he ate nothing but burritos for, right, once. Some say he ate once. He once. I don't, I don't know. I should just do this offline. And that's Saturdays at 9 a.m. in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. It's okay. It had two Qs and a silent seven. I was just messing around. It's like, what do you do with the carrot, though? I'm not quite sure. As well as being entered in our weekly draw, which went... Apparently, if everyone's listening, the deep black gets confusing and convoluted. <laughs> <laughs>